And over the last few weeks, we've talked about how we, how we think like a hero maker and how we see other people like a hero maker. And then today we're going to talk about sharing like a hero maker. And when it comes to sharing like a hero maker, it's going to require that our life, we're going to have to shift from information sharing to life sharing. But first, we have a test. We're all going to participate in our test, and we'll even review. For those of us that have been here, I know we have some guests that are here today. Feel, it's okay. We're going to review first, and you may still do pretty well, too, so don't feel too intimidated. But what we're doing as we work together, talking about becoming a hero maker as Jesus was a hero maker for his disciples and that they invested in others who became the church that you and I are a part of today, we are memorizing together the Great Commission of Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 19 and 20. And we recognize that there are different uh, translations that different people prefer and read from, but we're going to read aloud together our work. So it's not our quiz first, but it's our memory work. And I think all of the words will be up here first. So we'll read it aloud together, maybe kind of slowly focus on the words here, and then the quiz comes right after it, and we'll take it all together. Let's say this together. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Easy enough, right? We've been doing this for a couple weeks now. Now the harder one will come up. And to be fair, I didn't even add any more blanks to it from last week. It's the same one that we did last week. I didn't make it any harder. One more time. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, you can rest assured that next week there'll be a lot more blanks on this second slide, but keep working on it and keep reading it because as we memorize together this command that Jesus gave us to go, not just to wait for the harvest to come knock on our doors and say, hey, that I'm ready, but to go into the harvest and to work. When we take these commands seriously of Jesus, when you take his, his words and we put it in our heart, when we know it better, it means an awful lot for us. And there's value for us in memorizing Scripture and know what it says. And when we do that together as the church, we reinforce what we know and what we can understand. Now, arguably, some of the most influential people in the life of the early church are Peter and Paul and, J and Luke and John. See, almost through James in there, he was influential as well. But if I were to pick four, Peter and Paul and Luke and John have this enormous influence on the formation of the church. And of the 27 books that we have in our New Testament, it would be a lot easier to count the books that God did not use them to pen than the ones that he did. Only five, by my count, if I'm being conservative, were not written by these four. Twenty. Two of the 27 books in our New Testament, God used Peter, Paul, and Luke, and John to write. 
And as we look at the lives of what we know happened, as God tells us about their stories and some of the letters that they wrote in the book of Acts, our history and the formation of the beginning of the church, we see that the lives of these men overlapped greatly in some cases, that they did the work of the church, not independently of one another, but together ministering and traveling and let people know about Jesus and all of the places that they went. Peter and John ministered together, and their ministry kind of dominates the beginning of the book of Acts. And there's a shift where the, Saul, the persecutor of the church, comes on the scene, and then he kind of takes over. God is always the main character of the story, but he uses Paul in his stories, and he travels with Barnabas and Silas and these other guys that kind of dominates the middle to the end of the book of Acts. And we see the influence that these men had in the church. And what we see is the influence that they had on the lives of people who were far from God or thought that they were following after God, but were missing the Messiah who was right in front of them. And their lives were changed because of the way that these guys spent life together. They took Jesus with them wherever they went. Or to maybe say it more um, succinctly, wherever they went, it was because Jesus had sent them that they wanted to listen to the voice of the Spirit and how he was guiding him and the work that Jesus told them that they were to do and that they shared their lives together and they overlapped. And we can read page after page in Scripture where Paul writes about some of his events and then Luke, the good doctor, writes about the events of the early church and then the gospel of Luke, all that Jesus began to do and then all that Jesus continued to do through the Holy Spirit and the church and the book of Acts. We see these names mentioned together, Paul and Peter and Luke and John, all of the time in Scripture. And what they did is that they did ministry the best way that they knew how. And the best way that they know and the best way that they, not just the way that they were taught, but the way that they were showed. You see, Jesus made a point not just giving people information, but to give them a way to go about and to share that. Jesus sent them out and he sent them on a mission to deliver. If you want to follow along in just a minute, I'm going to read from Acts chapter 14. Acts 14. What happens here is Luke, as he's telling this story, God inspired to him. And as he's writing this account that we'll read in Luke 14, Luke carefully tells the story of Paul and Barnabas in a city called Iconium. Last week for the message, I read from Acts chapter 9, which is one of the three places in the book of Acts where Saul's conversion on the road to Damascus is accounted for in the book of Acts. And what happened is that Saul, the great enemy, the persecutor of the church, the murderer, the accuser, the locker-upper of Christians. That's a word. You can look it up later and come back and tell me I'm wrong, okay? So that's what Paul did. He was locking up Christians. He was arresting them. He was separating families. He was tearing lives apart because he said these Christians, they're wrong. There's a Messiah and he's coming, but this Jesus was not him. And what God did is that he blinded Saul on the road to Damascus. And he was blind for three days until God sent a man named Ananias to Saul to give him his vision back. And then Paul immediately starts preaching and sharing the gospel. And then he makes his way from Damascus to Jerusalem where the disciples were. And he said, hey guys, I'm on your team now. And they said, no, you're not. No, you're not. You will kill us. This is a trick. I cannot believe you. Your fingers are, I don't know what's going on, but I can't trust you. But what happened is that Barnabas spoke on Paul's behalf. Barnabas, his very name means son of encouragement. He says, y'all, I have seen. Barnabas was Southern. He said, y'all. He said, y'all, I have seen what he has done. I have seen how faithfully that he preached the message of Jesus 
all over the place. His conversion, his faith is as real as mine. It is genuine. You can trust him. And it is not a coincidence that we continue to read about, all right, you, you trust him? Barnabas, you go with Paul. You can travel on and tell people. But the disciples, I mean, they, even if they were skeptical at first, they came to realize his conversion was genuine and true, and the power of Jesus to change lives is, is unstoppable. And we can't fully explain it. So as they continue on together, this is an account of what we have of Paul and Barnabas continuing the mission work that God has given them to work on together. That kind of sets the stage for us, at least some of what happened leading up to Acts chapter 14. I'm going to start in verse 1. Now at Iconium, they, Paul and Barnabas, now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained there for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them, they learned of it and they fled to Lystra and Derbe, the cities of Lyconia and the surrounding country. And they continued to preach the gospel. Paul and Barnabas telling people about Jesus on the move. Verse 8, the story continues. Now at Lystra, there was a man who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth, and he had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looked intently at him. And seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up, and he began walking. When the crowd saw that what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in, in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. But when Barnabas and Saul heard of it, they said, we've done a good job. That's a really good idea. We've done a great thing. All right, I ran off the rails there for just a second. Let me get back to what the text actually says in verse 14. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and they rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are of men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heavens and made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he has allowed the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifices to them. The story continues on. Paul and Barnabas traveling. But Jews came from Antioch and from Iconium. That's where they just were and they left. Do you remember why? There was a plot to harm them and to stone them. Now, I don't know what the harm was if they're also planning to stone them, but the, Paul and Barnabas left Iconium because they were going to be killed. They were going to be injured. And these enemies of the faith are following them, these different cities that they go in verse 19. But the Jews came from Antioch and from Iconium, having persuaded the crowds. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. 
But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When he had preached the gospel to that city and they had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them in the faith, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they, they had appointed elders for every one of them in every church, with prayer and fasting they continued them to the Lord in whom they had believed. When they had passed through Pisidia and came through Pamphylia, then they had spoken the word in Perga, and they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they have arrived together and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them, and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. But go back up and we look at verse 22 and we keep in mind what just happened to Paul, to Barnabas. Verse 22, it says that they went up and they traveled out and strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. How easy it would be for me to say right now in this place, through many tribulations we will enter the kingdom of God. But friends, how much weight does that carry when Paul, who is stoned, and as I read it, probably dead from the stoning, was given new life, and he continued traveling, and he told people through many tribulations that we will be a part of the kingdom of God. Now that carries weight. And the interesting thing to me, and it has been for several months, this passage in Acts 14 that just completely jumps out and stands out to me is that Paul and Barnabas are traveling and they're presenting the gospel and when then that they learn their life will be threatened and God is going to lead them somewhere else, they go so they can tell more people about the kingdom. Now, I don't believe for a second it's to preserve their own lives because they have sacrificed their life to the king. But instead, it's to fulfill the mission that God has given to them to tell more people about Jesus and influence more is for them. Yet, yet, after they leave those cities and after these people who are stirring up trouble follow them from town to town and they eventually catch up to Paul and they stone him, they double back through all of those places. Are you kidding me? Proclaiming boldly the message of God. Hey, Barnabas, what do you think about going back to that place where they ran us out of town and wanted to kill us? That sounds like a great idea. Paul, let's go. It wasn't of their own doing. They led by God to share with people Jesus. How bold of a predict of a proclamation would that have been to the people in the city if you were there with your own eyes and you saw these men being driven out of town? These guys are idiots. They came back. Or maybe... They know something of such great worth that I need to lend them my ear. The witness and the influence that they had was huge. There's there's a word that is used here a couple times by the, the good doctor, Luke, as he tells this story. The Greek word is diatribo diatribo. 
I'm a long, long way from a biblical scholar, and y'all know that. But some things that we lose in translation at times are just the meaning of some words and as they're repeated in places. The word diatribo literally means to rub together, sometimes so much that something wears off. To spend time with, to rub off. Now, in the New Testament, it's exclusively used, every occurrence, to talk about the passing of time. That people spend a significant amount of time together so much so that they're rubbing off on each other, that maybe something's getting worn down because of the amount of time that they're spending with each other. And that word occurs in Acts 14, verse 3, and again in verse 28. Here in the translation I read, it comes across that they remained there for some time, diatribo. Verse 3, if we go back to Acts 14, verse 3, it says, So that they remained there for a long time, doing what? Speaking boldly on behalf of the Lord who bore witness of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. And that makes pretty good sense, doesn't it? They remained there for a long time. They wanted to rub off on the people that were there to spend a significant amount of time for their boldly proclaiming for the Lord. Then it's used again at the end of the chapter after they're traveling around in different places and that they've gone back to Antioch. And it says the church is there together and they're declaring all the things that God has done with them. And open the door for faith for the Gentiles. It says of Paul and of Barnabas, it says, and that they remained no little time with the disciples. Diatribo. Spending time rubbing off on other people. A significant amount of time. Now, this is an interesting thing when we use words and we have to be careful with them. But if I back up just one page in my Bible and I go back to Acts chapter 12. What happens at the beginning of Acts 12 is that James, Jesus' brother, is killed, and Peter is thrown into prison, and Herod has his workings all over this. And here's what happens in Acts chapter 12, starting in verse 6. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries were before the door guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, to Paul. And a light shone in the cell, sorry, to Peter. And he struck Peter on the side, and he woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands, and an angel said to them, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out, and he followed him. He not only, he did not know that what was being done by an angel was real, but he thought that he was seeing a vision. And when he had passed the first and the second guard, he came out to an iron gate leading to the city, and it opened for them of its own accord. And they went out along the street, and immediately the angel left him. And Peter came to himself. He said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod. And from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Now it would probably be a great understatement to say that Herod was just a little bit upset that Peter escaped from prison. And in fact, it tells us right there in the text in, in Acts 12. It says... Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, and somehow Peter got dressed and unchained and passed two guards and an iron gate, and he got out. Or knowing what we know about people that are in positions of authority, especially in the Roman government, how do you think Herod felt? How do you think he responded when he found out that Peter had escaped? Killed him. He was going to go to no end. In fact, going later on into the story, I'm going to skip a couple of verses. If we go down into verse 18, 
Peter has escaped. Herod is not pleased. Now the day came when there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries in order that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea, and he spent time there. There's that word again that can be overlooked, diatribo. Herod was going to do everything that he possibly could in his power and use all of his scope to figure out, as long as it took, what in the world happened to Peter. Did he pay off one of the guards? I had him killed, so I guess that doesn't matter. What happened? He was going to do everything in his power to remain there, to stay there, until he got to the bottom of how Peter escaped. Now, I have to think that the good Dr. Luke used his words very carefully when he described these stories. Herod said, I'm going to stay there for a while as long as it takes. And then we jump into our text from Acts chapter 14 that Paul and Barnabas, they remained there for some time. And then at the end, that they spent no little time remaining there with the disciples. Do you catch the theme that's going on? We spend time together with other believers for the sake of those that are lost. So that we become encouraged by the things that we believe. As I think about, as, as Luke unfolds this story of the church and the story of of Jesus. I try to describe it this way. A good doctor refers us to the great physician to fill a prescription that only he can. As Luke is carefully telling us about what Jesus did and everything Jesus was to accomplish, he knows that Jesus is the only way And then it's our job to rub off on others, to influence others. Now, the good doctor is not the only one that uses this word. In fact, the John, the beloved disciple, one of the closest to Jesus, used this word as well. In John chapter 3, perhaps one of the most famous passages in all of the Bible, Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and Jesus explains to him, you must be born again, and Nicodemus didn't understand, so he told him about that. And then after their encounter, it comes to John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. And Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to save the world. So after this famous encounter in John 3, what happens in John chapter 3, verses 22 and following, After this, after Nicodemus, after for God so loved the world, that great message from Jesus. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. And John was also baptizing near Salim, and it goes on. But Jesus remained there, spent time with Diatribo again. When I think about things influencing others, we can come up with some, some different descriptions. The dictionary would tell us it's to remain or to stay uh, closely related to a word abide. It can mean rubbing something so much that there's a hole in it. One thing rubs against the other. In my old Toyota that I sold a couple months ago, my 25-year-old Toyota Avalon, the, the floor mats were in really good shape for a really old car, but where I kept my foot between the gas pedal and the brake pedal, there was a hole that had worn in my car mat. Maybe your car mat's like this too, where I, I just pivot my heel back and forth from the gas to the brake, from the gas to the brake. 
and the car mat had been worn off just in that spot. Because so much time had been spent there rubbing that spot over and over and over. Or think about when I was a kid in elementary school and I had these green Converse shoes. Why? Because I have bad taste. I don't know. I had green shoes when I was a kid. Give me a break. All right. But I had these green, bold green Converse shoes. And every time I wore them, when I took them off at the end of the day, my white socks were no longer white. They were this awful green color. I'm sure my mom loved those shoes. But I think about those socks. They were spent time with my feet in those shoes, and they couldn't help but be turned green. Or I think to a couple months ago, I was working out in the yard, and I either got really sweaty or it was raining. Sometimes it's hard to tell a difference. I really don't remember. But I was wearing these yellow leather gloves, working out in the yard. And once I was done, I took them off, and my hands were yellow. From the gloves working together with my hands and the combination of the water getting in there too. But I think about those things when I think about spending time with them being influenced. When I think about the influence that Peter, Paul, John, and Luke had not just on Scripture, have not just on us, but that they had on each other that they had spent time with. They were rubbing off on one another in a good way, so much so that it was obvious that they had spent time with Jesus. In the same way that my socks became grimy and green, and that hole got in the floorboard of my car, and my hands turned yellow from the gloves, Friends, it should be exceedingly obvious to anyone within eyesight of us that we have spent time with Jesus. That we have spent time with other believers, that we rub off on them, and the influence is undeniable in a good way. And people can't help but spot. as we think about sharing like a hero maker. That I want not just to transfer information, but I want to transfer life-giving truths to other people. What we do matters. What we believe matters. What we say matters. Who we spend time with matters. How we influence them for Jesus because of that time together with us matters. You and I know, I all know that there's an enormous difference between information and wisdom, or really even knowledge and wisdom. You could read the entire dictionary or an encyclopedia and maybe be well-versed in everything that begins with the letter D or whatever encyclopedia book that you read. But applying that to our lives is a whole nother thing. I appreciate this on many levels. But, you know, it's knowledge to to recognize that a tomato is a fruit. It is wisdom not to put it in a fruit salad, all right? To to discern the difference between those things. I pick on tomatoes any chance that I get because they're gross, all right? Kids eat your vegetables, but that's a fruit. Anyway, I digress, all right? But the difference between just information and knowledge or wisdom of making a difference for the sake of the kingdom, 
not for the sake of my name or what I did, but as Paul and Barnabas said, that they were relishing all of the things that God had done with them. And they remained no little time together with the disciples to encourage one another. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 19, 20. shouldn't just be a well-known verse. It shouldn't just be one of a couple that we have memorized, but one that fundamentally changes the way that we look at life and the way that we live and the way that we make all of our decisions. So together, again, let's say it. It's the hard one. You ready? Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your word fills us up, that it encourages us, God, that it points us to the things that you have called for us as the church to do and to accomplish. God, I pray that you give us a desire deep down inside of us for your word to know it and to know it better, not just for what it says, God, but for how it tells us who we are and who you are and how we're to live because of that. Father, may we not just be only concerned with ourselves, but God, may we look at our life and how we can be a light to others and a light to others and influence countless lives and families and generations down the road. Because every day, each day, Father, we're going to do our best to surrender to our will to yours, to be obedient to what you have put before us that very day, and to be aware of the influence that we do have and how we can leverage the name of Jesus. God, to take someone from lost to found and from darkness to light, from dead to alive. Without Jesus, we are all dead. Father, thank you for your great love that covers our shortcomings, that covers our sin, that binds us together through the blood of Jesus. Father, may we have this enormous vision for your kingdom and a heart to rescue those who are perishing. Father, we are grateful for all that you do for us. In Christ's name I pray all of these things. Amen.